0: I would love for you to turn to the book of Titus as we finish up chapter 1 today, verses 10 through 16. Deceivers dissected and defeated. (laughs) I just wanted to use the word D a lot this morning. I'm probably going to stumble over it a bunch. Deceivers are out there and we need to know how to dissect them, how to recognize them and defeat them. And Paul talks strongly about that in this passage. Uh, Like Jeremy said, it's a lot about what not to do. Um, But we find out that there are certain people in Crete, on the island, and even infiltrating the churches that are doing things that are deceiving people. So we're going to talk about how we can use this passage to help ourselves find those people that are sneaking in. Follow along as I read from verses 10 through 16, Titus chapter 1. The word of the Lord, for there are many rebellious people, full of empty talk and deception, especially those from the circumcision party. It is necessary to silence them. They are ruining entire households by teaching what they shouldn't in order to get money dishonestly. One of their very own prophets said, "Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. This testimony is true for this reason rebuke them sharply so that they may be sound in the faith and may not pay attention to Jewish myths and the commands of people who reject the truth to the pure everything is pure but to those who are defiled and unbelieving nothing is pure in fact both their mind and conscience are defiled they claim to know God but they deny him by their works They are detestable, disobedient, and unfit for any good work. Let's pray. Father, it's quite the uh, expose for what deceivers look like. Those who are slanting the truth in their favor, those who are misrepresenting the truth. It was a problem all the way back to the garden when Satan did it for the first time. So, Father, help us this morning as we look at this passage that we may, in our hearts, find things in our own lives, but also make our eyes keenly aware. Give us the wisdom to recognize when deceit is creeping in. In your Son's name I pray. Amen. Anybody remember the show Mythbusters? I loved that show. Yeah, it was a great show. They would take some traditional myth or legend or idea common tradition and they would seek to prove it or refute it Um, and I just enjoyed it Uh, they had quite the characters on there well Paul has given us tools right here in this passage to do the same thing to bust the myths that are out there and the and the deceitful things we may encounter so after Paul is defined up in the first part of this chapter after he's defined the role of an elder he now wants, and com- he wants them to go, and he commissions them, really, to go and expose the deceivers and handle the, deceiver, the deceivers that are in the, uh, in the situation. It's a very dire situation on the island of Crete. Paul exposes the manner in which deceivers operate and then calls on elders to remove them. And you see that in, verses, in verse uh, 9 of the previous section. He calls on the elders to be responsible for removing them. So for our sermon this morning, we want to talk about when deceptive people infiltrate a church, the church must spot them. We must be keen on seeing people who are coming into the church to deceive it. And then we must correct them immediately. That's kind of what we're going to be talking about. So how do you, how do you spot the liars? And then how do you correct them? Well, that's what we, we must perform two actions. First, we must recognize their methods, how they're going to come in. And then we must refute what their impact will be, refute what they're saying. So point number one this morning is to dissect the deceivers' methods. Now you see why I use the word dissect. In science class, you dissected a frog or a cat or something, and you, you, know, you had to take it apart. Well, this is going to take apart the deceivers in a sense. Spiritual deceivers have several specific methods they use to exploit weaknesses in us. I'm going to read verses 10 through 12 and 14 through 16 again. And I want you to see what's going on here. For there are many rebellious people, full of empty talk and deception, especially those from the circumcision party. <clears throat> Excuse me. It is necessary to silence them. They are ruining entire households by teaching what they shouldn't in order to get money dishonestly. One of their, one of their very own prophets said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. To the pure, sorry, 14, and may not pay attention to Jewish myths and the commands of people who reject the truth. To the pure, everything is pure, but to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. In fact, both their mind and their conscience are defiled. They claim to know God, but they deny Him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, and unfit for any good work. So I want to break down Paul's exposure here a little bit to the why the what and the how of deceivers, what, what they're doing. And he has really kind of exposed them here clearly. And so we want to dissect how they exist in our churches. First of all, we're going to talk about the why. You can put letter A under one if, you want, if you're taking notes. Why do deceivers mislead and spread empty talk when they come into a church? Well, I want you to see in this verse the motives. That's the why, the motives. There are actually eight motives listed in here that we can find. First of all, they love to hear themselves talk. They love to hear themselves talk even if it's empty. Verse 10, he says right there, he says, full of empty talk. These rebellious people are full of empty talk. That's motive number one. Motive number two, they love to rebel against truth, righteousness, and God for their own enjoyment. He called them a rebellious people. He called them a a, full of empty talk and deception. He, he, he just obvious that they want to rebel. The third motive they have here is that they seek to elevate their ideas, their history, or their control over the listeners. That's what verse 10 and finishes up there. It says, it says, especially those from the circumcision party. He's talking about the Jews, the Jews who came in and said, you got to still do these things to be a Christian, and that was happening all over Europe, all over Asia at that time. When the gospel would go out, the Judaizers would follow them and say, "Oh, but you still got to get circumcised, and you still got to eat this food and not eat that food, and you still got to go to the temple." And da, da 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 da. They kept listing these things, saying you had to do those to be a Christian. So they were elevating their ideas. They were adding things to the gospel. They were at, they were using their history. They were using guilt, really, to try to control the audiences. The fourth motive is that they love to ruin lives. They love to ruin people's lives. They love to ruin families. Paul talks about it here in verse 11. It is necessary to silence them. They are ruining entire households by teaching what they shouldn't. They just don't care. They want to ruin our order. They want to ruin Christianity as best they can. So that's the fourth motive. The fifth motive they, they have is that they despise truth. They really despise truth. It's not that they want to slant the truth. They really despise it. They reject it. They seek to establish their own version of truth. Look at verse 14. He says, and may not pay attention to Jewish myths and the commands of people who reject the truth. They despise it. They hate it. The sixth mode that they have is they wish to control people with ceremony and hypocritical actions and turning something that's pure into impure. Verse 15, he's talking about the Jewish guys again. He says, to the pure, everything is pure. But to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. In fact, both their mind and their conscience are defiled. See, Jesus eliminated all the food restrictions. In Mark 7, you can go look it up, 14 through 15. He said, nothing goes in you, it makes you unclean. It's what comes out of you that makes you unclean. And they're trying to say again that these Jewish things still apply they're turning what's pure whatever God created and and Paul addressed this also in first Timothy 4 1 through 5 whatever God's created if you take it with thanksgiving it is pure okay and so there's nothing wrong with it now you can overtake it you can misuse it but they're trying to say that if you eat any of this stuff you're automatically not saved they're turning the pure into the impure The seventh motive is that they want to heap misery. (laughs) They love misery on others, and that gives them a chance to exercise power over them. They're trying to just use the misery that they create to guilt people into doing what they want them to do. Verses 15 and 16 kind of highlight that. He says, to the pure, everything is pure, but to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. In fact, Both their mind and their conscience are defiled. They claim to know God, but they deny him by their works. They're detestable, disobedient, and unfit for any good work. They're just wanting to heap misery on people so they can control. That's what they want to do. But the number eight motive is the main motive. You've probably noticed I've skipped over it a couple times when I've been reading here. Go to verse 11. The last phrase, in order to get money dishonestly. We've been through this a couple of times in Timothy, First Timothy. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And people will not stop regardless of who it hurts. The main reason revolves around money. It revolves around greed. It revolves around profit at any cost. We talked a little bit about that last week in the qualifications of an elder. He must not be pursuing profit to the point of at any cost. And the Cretans, the the inhabitants of the island of Crete, were notorious for this. There is ancient books before the New Testament, way back to 600 B.C., that attest to this. The Cretans were Cretans. They were terrible. They only cared about getting a profit at any cost. It didn't matter what they'd done right or wrong. As long as they came out on top with the money. The main reason. Verse 12, Paul quotes one of their prophets. And this guy actually existed. I I don't have the name. I think it's Epimenides. But he said it back in like 600 B.C. But several people have said other things like this. One of their very own prophets said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. And then he says, this testimony is true. (laughs) Paul confirms that they were this way. They wanted to get rich. So there's the eight motives. Now let's look at the second, letter B, basically. What do they do? What do they use, these deceivers, to defile their listeners? Where there's five ploys they use, five tactics they use. First, they offer freedom through rebellion. Isn't that always the way freedom or rebellion disguises itself is that you're gonna be free? You know? I mean that's what the 60s were like that, you know, it's like rebel against all establishments so we can be free. But we don't have a job. We don't have money. We don't have anything to support ourselves. It just was interesting. They, they were promoting freedom through rebellion, through self-governing, with their empty words and their double talk. I mean, verse 10 is very clear there. For there are many rebellious people. They're full of empty talk and deception. They deceive people into thinking they're getting free. Getting free because they're disobeying. What else do they use? Well, secondly, they use old rituals, and that's back to the Jews. They're using these past outdated rites and rituals that Jesus said are no more. Jesus took care of all the ceremonial law. The only thing we have to worry about is the Big Ten, the moral law, how we treat people, how we love God, how we serve God. The old rituals are gone, but they kept bringing them up. Circumcision, sacrifices, forbidden foods, that's, that's the end of verse 10, the circumcision party. This is the Jews, the Judaizers, we call them in theology circles. They're just trying to use the old stuff. I know it was, it was a hard thing for them to not do because that was how they were raised. But they turned it into a method to raise money. That's what they did. The third ploy that they used was confusion, infighting, division, chaos, strife. They wanted to create... Chaos and all this, in, and create power struggles and divisions, and that's one of the things we have to watch out in the church. Is that anytime something is dividing us, we need to wonder if some, one side or the other is not deceiving us. We need to watch out for this. In verse eleven and sixteen, he he talks about these. He says it is necessary to silence them. They are ruining entire households. He's pitting mom against dad, and dad against mom, and all these things. He's these guys are are creating a lot of turmoil teaching what they shouldn't in order to get money dishonestly. In verse 16, it says, they claim to know God, but they deny him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, and unfit for any good work. They're in the church and they're trying to look like they're doing good, but they're dividing. That's the other ploy they use, confusion and infighting. The fourth tactic is that they use myths, speculations, genealogies, we're going to, he's going to talk about it in chapter 3 of Titus, but he's already talked about it in Timothy. It's a problem that has been everywhere. It's in the book of Colossians. It's in the book of Galatians. It was some, some of it is in the book of uh, books of First and 2 Corinthians. They were, they were using anything they could come up with to create this truthless guidance. It has no truth to it. But because it had a little sprinkling of Jewish history in it, some people might listen to it. Truthless guidance was controlling the actions. Verse fourteen refers to that. Pay no attention. Pay no attention to Jewish myths. The fifth tactic is that they emphasize external purity. They emphasize external purity, outward acts of fake righteousness. They're faking it, and they're using these actions to guilt the Christians into doing these things too. You, what do you mean you? You, you didn't get your son circumcised? What do you mean? You, you, didn't, you ate that food? You know, they, they're just trying to guilt people in because they're, they're emphasizing an external purity, which is the whole battle that went on with Jesus and the Pharisees in the New Testament. Read the Gospels. He's constantly hammering on them. You're just worried about what's outside. You are a whitewashed tomb, he said. You look pretty on the outside, but you stink on the inside. That's what these guys were doing. They would say probably things like, don't betray your family. Your family history is Jewish. What are you you doing? So that's the what. That's what they do. Now, how do they do it? How do deceivers mislead believers away from God's truth? Well, there's five techniques that's buried in here. First of all, they speak of things they don't even know truthfully. They're talking out the side of the mouth with half-truths, omitted truths. You know, half-truth's a lie, right? You know that? There's no no such thing as a white lie, and there's no such thing as a half-truth that's truth. Half-truths, omitted truth. I mean, verses 10 and 11, they're rebellious, they're full of empty talk and deception. And it is necessary to silence them, for they are ruining by teaching what they shouldn't. Teaching what they shouldn't, they don't even know what they're teaching. The second technique is that they confuse people with the old rituals, They get believers doubting the truth. Wait a minute. Did Jesus really die and be raised from the dead and ascend to heaven to cover my sins? Is that enough? (laughs) It better be. It better be because no lamb is ever going to take away the sins. I mean, that never worked. It atoned for past sins. It didn't take care of the future ones. They speak of things they don't know. They confuse the things. They get the believers doubting these things. I mean, that's exactly what happened in the Garden of Eden, right? Eve believed that lie, that God was holding out something from her and confused her. What you mean I'll be like God? The third technique is they present their lies very confidently and with some authoritative tone. It's false authority, but they 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 have no regard for who it's going to hurt. They don't care what pain it causes. They're all after the money. They are all after the money. Whether they were the Jewish party or whether it was the other guys with pagan religions, they were all after the money. And fourth, they defiled truth with absurd insinuations. It's just funny watching today, you see it. Popular sinful beliefs. They, this is true, they, abortion is health care. That's the, that's the lie It's out there right now. Abortion is health care for women. Stand up for health care for women. I stand up for health care for women, but that is not health care. Verse 16, he says, they claim to know God, but they deny him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, and unfit for any good work. They they insinuate some of the most absurd things. The fifth technique they use is that they prey on those who do not study God's truth. Those who do not meditate on God's ways, those who ignore what Jesus taught. That's what he's getting at there in in verse 13. This testimony is true. For this reason, rebuke them sharply so that they may be sound in the faith. Ignorance is the path to apostasy. It's the path to heresy. If you don't know what your Bible says, it will be very easy for people to lead you down the wrong path. Cleanliness is next to godliness is a great example. People thought that was in the Bible. For People probably still think it's in the Bible. Cleanliness is next to godliness. God helps those who help themselves. Not in the Bible. Not in the Bible. Dissecting the ways of deception means we need to know the why, the what, and the how. Okay? And that's what Paul has done for us. How they're operating. Their their mode of operation. Paul warns Timothy very strongly here, like he did Timothy, that these liars are among the churches. They're there. He's not saying when, when they come. He's saying they're already there. So beware. If you have your Bible, turn to 2 Timothy, 2 2 Peter chapter 2. 2 Peter chapter 2. It was really astonishing this week when I was reading through Peter, 2 Peter, how almost word for word this is exactly what Paul was telling Titus. The Apostle Peter wrote to the dispersed church. This was a letter to the dispersed Christians all over Europe and Asia. And it was about this very same thing. I want you to hear his warnings in Second Peter chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. There were indeed false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. They will bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, and will bring swift destruction on themselves. Many will follow their depraved ways, and the way of truth will be maligned, because of them they will exploit you in their greed with made-up stories their condemnation pronounced long ago is not idle and their destruction does not sleep now skip down to verse 9 of chapter 2 then the word then the lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment for the day of judgment, especially those who follow the polluting desires of the flesh and despise authority. Boy, (laughs) it sounds exactly the same. And Peter didn't pull any punches with them at all. He didn't pull any punches about what what they were going to face. And they were facing it all over Europe and all over Asia. You know, all scams and schemes, we worry about getting scammed all the time. I know that that these phone scams are incredible. All these scams and all these schemes, they use the same method. Ignorance, partial truth, and they're looking for illicit gain, money. They got the same three characteristics. They're they're preying on people's ignorance. They're preying on it with partial truths, and they're all about the money. All about the money. Greed's the motivation of all scams, even spiritual scams. All false preachers ask you for money eventually. If you're watching some preacher on TV and he asks you for money, be careful. That's all I can say. Be very, very careful. So I want to apply one of these besides greed. I spent enough time talking about greed in First Timothy, but I want to apply one of these methods that I listed here to some of the stuff that's going on today. The next most prevalent thing that we see in the motive today is despising truth. Uh, seeking to establish their own truth. Number two and number five of the motives. For example, many today say there is more than one way to God. I mean, people say, oh, there's more than one way to heaven. There's more than one way to God. People get offended when you say there's only one way. And they want it to be true so that they can do what they want. They don't want it to be true necessarily because they're not pursuing another way necessarily. They're they're just saying there's more ways to God. You know, there's more, more than one way. They want to live without any rules. That's what they think they're doing. They want to pursue God their way because they love their sin more. That's why they want that to be true. They want Well, there's another way and I'll find it eventually. I'll run to that one. They think there's this escape hatch or this, you know, pull in case of emergency thing at death. There's not. Only the religion of self-worship believes this. That's really what, what motivates I want to worship myself. And God gave us this truth, though. Jesus is the only way to heaven. Dr. David Jeremiah gave a pretty good illustration about that. He says, how do you become a human? There's only one way to do that, right? There's only one way. Whether it's IVF or anything that, like that, is still one way. Why in the world would there not only be one way to be born again? People want their own truth. This is a, here's another example. Many claim that you can be a follower of Jesus and not attend a church. They think that I can be a Christian and I don't have to go to church. You know what? That's partly true. It's partly true, which is a lie. Remember? Told you that earlier. It's, a, it's partly true. We are saved by Jesus Christ alone, by grace, through faith, not of ourselves. Going to church don't make you a Christian any more than going over to McDonald's makes you a hamburger, okay? You can't get there from here. But Jesus doesn't save you to be separated from his body. He doesn't. He doesn't. No way, shape, or form. There is no New Testament context that even speaks of being a Christian without being part of a church. All these letters that make up the books of the New Testament are written primarily to churches, I mean even 1st and 2nd Timothy are written to the church at Ephesus and Timothy. This is written to the book of the churches on the island of Crete. Church is important to God. He doesn't want he doesn't save you to be separated from his body. God expects every believer to seek the fellowship and the spiritual help of a gospel believing Bible teaching church. He never intended otherwise. This was not something he added on after Christ rose from the dead. This was planned. Matter of fact, Jesus told us this was planned. On this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Not on this rock I built a group of people, just a bunch of folks on their own journey. No, we're supposed to be together. See, the truth, God's truth, it debunks all the lies and deceptive beliefs, which is why we must know God's truth well. We must spend time in it. Finding out, asking people. I love the questions I get. I mean, I've, And since I've been here for five years, six years, I just love the questions I get because it tells me you're looking at your Bible. Ah, glorifying that. Man, that is awesome. That's the whole reason I came here. The whole reason I'm doing this. If you don't want to be spiritually scammed, and cheated, you got to get into your Bible. And we're going to start another discipleship group, one year's discipleship group in January. So pray about it if God wants you to participate in that. We'll talk about times and dates and other of that logistics later. But we are going to start another one. It's a one-year commitment. We ask you to make. Pray about it. So now, once we dissect these liars and once we realize what their their methods are, now we can learn how to defeat them, and we can defeat them with authoritative truth. And that's what Paul's going to tell him. Defeat the deceiver's impacts. Point number two. Verse 11a, which is the first part, it is necessary to silence them. In verse 13, this testimony is true. For this reason, rebuke them sharply so that they may be sound in the faith. See, even though the methods of the deceivers are broad, they involve a lot. I mean, there was 18 parts I gave you there. Okay, total. 18 things that we have to watch out for the antidote is really simple. It's really quite simple. Listen to what Paul tells Titus to do with these rebellious, evil beasts, lazy gluttons, and detestable false believers. He says, silence them. Silence them. Make them stop talking. Cease to allow their words to infiltrate the church. That's what verse 11a is telling him. Keep, silence them. Shut them up. Now, he's not telling them to get violent with them, okay? So I don't want you all to think that's what, he's, he's talking like some mob boss or something. He's telling them to silence them. One of the best ways to silence a liar is to not listen to his lies. If he doesn't have an audience. He has no grounds to, to do anything. But Titus and the elders are to seek out these deceivers and then shut their lies down and remove them. I mean, go back to verse 9. You read, holding to the faithful message as taught so that he will be able both to encourage with sound teaching and to refute those who contradict it. That's what an elder, a pastor, and a church is supposed to be doing. And since the the Cretan prophets' testimony is true, they're they're lazy, what did it say? They're lazy gluttons, um, they're evil beasts, and they're liars. That was true, Paul says. And because of that, Paul says, rebuke them, rebuke them sharply, which means correct them with firmness, correct them directly. You know, every rebuke is a correction, okay? It's not like some soft soil thing. It's meant to be a correction. He wants them to be rebuked. And Paul wants Titus to address all the groups involved in this deceitful mess. So I'm going to list out the, the four groups that are involved in this, okay? First of all, there are unbelievers that are outside the church. They're not even part of the church. And Paul's really not addressing them directly. The second group is that there are unbelievers who are following Jesus, following Titus, his lead, listening to the gospel. They are growing in Christ. They're pursuing righteousness. That's the second group. The third group, there are believers in the church who have been listening to the deceivers. There are believers in the church beginning to go, well, maybe. I should do that. Maybe I should think about that. They may even be whispering it to each other. Maybe their Sunday school class has turned into a discussion of these deceitful things. I don't know. That's the third group. And then the fourth group, they are the deceivers, pretending to be believers, speaking lies, and not acting like Christians. Those are the four groups. Here's what Paul wants Titus to do and the elders in the church. Here's what he wants. He wants them to evangelize the first group, those outside the church, those that aren't trying to deceive, those that aren't even involved in the church. Evangelize them. Take them the gospel. That's that's what he wants them to do with them. He wants to, to edify the second group, those who are trying to grow in Christ, spend time teaching them, raising them up, maturing them. The third group, rebuke them sharply, he said. That's the group he's talking about. Rebuke these believers who are entertaining these ideas. Correct them directly in love. I'm going to get to that in a minute. Gently in in love, but directly. And then the fourth group, he wants them to silence. Don't let them have a word edgewise. Send them out. As a matter of fact, in in chapter three, he goes into the church discipline mode for these guys. Paul wants Titus and the elders of the church to evangelize the first group, edify the second group, rebuke sharply the third group, and silence the fourth group. That's what he wants them to do. And only in the church can these actions actually be properly carried out. I mean, you can't walk out here to the street and tell someone to stop talking. (laughs) We don't do that. But in the church, under the covenant of the church, the elders, the deacons, the body, they can defeat the impact of these deceivers. And for the sake of souls, the church must act to shut down heresy, false doctrines, and lies. And you may ask, why? I'm glad you asked. Turn to Ephesians chapter 4. You may not have asked. Turn to Ephesians chapter 4, where we're be looking at verses 12 through 16. One of my favorite passages, been, had parts of this memorized for my whole Christian life, It's a great passage for churches to read and read and read and learn (laughs) and apply in their heart. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 12 through 16, Paul is writing to the church at Ephesus, which is the church that Timothy is pastor over, and he explains spiritual gifts. But in verse 12, he says these gifts are for equipping the saints for the work of ministry to build up the body of Christ until we all reach unity in the faith. And in the knowledge of God's Son, growing into maturity with a stature measured by Christ's fullness. Then, then we will no longer be tossed around like little children. Tossed by the waves and blown around by every wind of teaching. By human cunning with cleverness in the techniques of deceit. Why it sounds like what Titus is having to deal with. All that noise. But, But verse 15. But speaking the truth in love. Let us, the church, grow in every way and to him who is the head, Christ. From him, the whole body fitted and knit together by every supporting ligament pr- promotes the growth of the body for building up itself in love by the proper working of each individual part. We got to play our part and we got to work together in love. I don't think Paul can make it any clearer what the church is supposed to do and how we're supposed to keep the impact of these liars going on. Paul told the Ephesians that uniting and building and maturing is what we're supposed to be doing. You know, if it sounds too good to be true, it probably is, right? Probably isn't true, probably false, and it's probably a trap. It's funny to me how, I have, as I've interacted with people, how I've noticed that whenever a lie has been told and you ask a question about it, it takes a lot of words to explain it. I mean, you ever notice that? If the truth is the truth and it's the truth, you just say it. And it, and it stands on its own. Jesus is the only way. Well, what do you mean by that? He's the only way. I, saw, I just keep saying the same thing over and over again. I had this conversation with my daughter back 15 years ago. She kept asking me this stuff, and it was the same answer every question she asked. Lies take a lot more words. Solomon talks about that in Proverbs ten nineteen. Where words are many, sin is unavoidable. Where words are many, sin is unavoidable. The church must not listen to the greedy and power-hungry deceivers. That is how we silence them. We just don't listen to them. We don't give them a word edgewise. If it's not coming out of this book, we don't listen to it. Now, many liars and deceivers will seek your attention today. Oh, boy. Will they? They'll seek your attention and they'll use multiple platforms to try to attract you. Oh, be careful, little ears, what you hear. Remember that? That's a still a solid truth. When we give them an audience, when we let them speak to us and we listen, we invite their deceit into our minds. We encourage them, actually. They want to keep piling on and piling on. They use any tidbit. They use any headline. I mean, they use anything to entice us to listen to them. You know, the one thing about bait, bait always has a hook in it. It ain't bait if it doesn't have a hook in it or someone with a bow sitting there wanting to shoot them. (laughs) All bait has a hook. There's always an angle. There's always a ploy. There's always a trick. They bury the truth in a lot. They bury the lie in a bunch of words like we were talking about a minute ago. So what can we do to eliminate these deceivers avoid the lies and correct the false ideas? Well, I'm glad you asked It starts right here in church In this book in listening and edifying growing together one one thing I promise you and I promise you from the beginning As long as I am your pastor truth will always come from this book Not my own ideas I read commentaries, but I measure them against God's word And pure, pure, what he talks about here, pure will always be defined by Jesus Christ. Not by my wants and desires. We will not not tolerate false ideologies. We will not tolerate bad theology, man-made doctrines, or worshipped traditions. There are no sacred cows going to be here. Okay? If you don't know what that means, I'll explain afterwards. We will... We will, by the grace of God, do everything in accordance with his word and the guidance of the Holy Spirit. That's my promise. We will conduct our worship. We will conduct our ministries. We will conduct our fellowship so as to elevate Jesus Christ and to edify the body of believers. That's what I want to do. That's what God wants us to do. There is no better way to defeat deceivers Correct false ideas and disciple believers then by observing all that I commanded you. Remember Jesus said that, Matthew 28, 19? Teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. That's how you beat deception. So let us pursue God's absolute truth with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, with all our strength. And we do it in love and service to others for the cause of Christ. That's how we dissect and defeat deceivers. Paul strongly, let me summarize, Paul strongly highlights the erroneous teachers, what they were doing, and then he calls the church to remove them. You know, lately research has shown, some, some research surveys have shown that people are looking for groups and places that hold to the truth. They want people that don't double speak. They want people that, they want a place where they can go and they can hear the truth and they can see people that believe it with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. I I couldn't find the research this week, but I saw it. I couldn't couldn't re-dig it up. We need to be holding fast to the faith, the truth that we profess. The gospel that saves is what the world needs, and that's what we hold on to, no matter what. People are looking for that. You have it because of Jesus Christ. Share it. Share it. This morning, as we come to our prayer time, let's pray that we can be found faithful and mature in our beliefs for the glory of God alone. To pray that we can get busy in God's word and let that flow out of us. And pray that we can see deceitfulness and division. If you want to come to the front and pray, please do. We're going to take a time of silent prayer. I closes after a minute or so let's pray.